he looked directly at me and he said, you are a failure. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of The Road to Reconstruction. Today I have a conversation with my good friend, Nathan Ray, and let me tell you, you are in for a treat because it is an amazing conversation. I met Nathan about 10 years ago now as I was helping out doing music at a church in Tennessee and Nathan was hosting me and the other guys that were with me and it was such an amazing time there and I'm so glad to be talking to Nathan once again. Today you're going to hear about Nathan's testimony all the way from finding Christ to becoming a pastor, leaving a church, and how he is on a different type of pulpit now. Nathan is also a motivational speaker, so if you are looking to book him for an event, please reach out to him and I will have his details in the description. Today, my guest is a two-wing three on the Enneagram. He is an ENFP on the Myers-Briggs test. He is a very enthusiastic guy, but incredibly humble at the same time. Everybody, I welcome to you my friend, Nathan Ray. Thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. It, oh, it's been so long. So yeah, catch me up to life. So the last time I saw you was when you were living in Harriman. You're at that church. It seemed like you were kind of preaching every now and then. I'm not 100% sure. I think I just kind of saw that on Facebook and stuff. So that's kind of like the last time I saw you, which was probably all the way in 2014. So yeah, like, so almost like 10 years, like catch me up those 10 years if you can. I know. And it's crazy that like, we still like in some way, in some sense, stay connected. Um, I've followed your journey too, but crazy story. So that house caught on fire. Um, oh my gosh. Seriously? Yeah. So, oh, um, so we were, we were actually just transitioning out of that church right after you all left. Like you all came in and did the summer, um, the summer program and you played the music um, and you hung out with the kids. And then we were transitioning out of that church and I started preaching at another church um, shortly after that. And so we, um, we were able to transition very kind of fluidly because the other church had a house and our house had caught on fire. And so we just kind of transitioned into that house and into that church. And, um, and that's where I really started preaching. Um, okay. Hanging out more with, with youth groups. Yeah. Wow. Sheesh. So you're, so how far away was it still in Merriman that you guys were living in or was it somewhere else? No, we had to move to a town um, just just over the bridge from Harriman, uh, Kingston, Tennessee, still in Roan County. Um, but, you know, the kids had to transition schools because it's a different city. And um, and so it was uh, it was interesting. Wow. Yeah. Gosh, I can only imagine. Sheesh. So you. All right. So house burns down. You guys move. You're in that church, and then you start preaching. So, was that? Were you ever preaching at the church prior to that, or just this one? So, I had started speaking um, 
to youth groups, but I wasn't really preaching. Um, I was doing what God had done in, in my life. Um, and that's really how I, I became a, a speaker. Um, and then I, I, you know, moved into preaching in a pulpit, uh, at the new church and, um, preaching to the youth group at that church every now and then I would fill in and help out. And, um, and so my, you know, that's where my journey really started was, uh, was first telling my story and how God worked in my life. And then, um, and then moving into a pulpit, uh, which is a weird transition. You think it would be easy, but it's a really weird transition. Oh yeah. Uh, and then, um, and then I, now I'm speaking full time, um, at school assemblies and, um, school staff development, uh, events. Wow. That's awesome. That's a really cool thing. Cause I see that you're doing that and it just seems like you do have a heart for the youth and that's something you've always kind of had going for you. So yeah. What, what is like your passion there, your desire when you're doing that? Yeah. So I know that's my calling. Um, but I, I guess my, my passion for that is, um, I want to share my story because I don't want students to, um, to make the same bad decisions that I did. Um, I made a lot of bad decisions as a kid. Um, instead of coping in, uh, in positive ways, I coped in negative ways with, you know, mm-hmm. alcohol, tobacco, marijuana, um, and was just a poor decision maker and, um, and made a lot of, a lot of bad choices, a lot of choices that, um, that really, you know, not only affected me, but affected my, my mom and my dad and my brother. Uh, and then that carried over into young adulthood and it affected my wife and, wow. and our first child. And so, um, I, you know, I share my story with students now today to, to help them understand that number one, negative coping skills, um, they're not good for you. Like they harm you in so many ways, mm. uh, but emotional regulation and knowing how to manage your emotions is so important at that age, at that like middle school, freshman in high school age. And if I can inspire any student to, to use emotional regulation, to, uh, to use positive coping skills, that's what I'm going to go out and do because that's, I know that's what I'm called to do. Wow. Yeah. Gosh, that's amazing. That's, that must be so fulfilling because I could only imagine how much of an impact you're making, especially for somebody that young of an age to have somebody to look up to, to say, wow, I can't believe this is somebody's story. And they are now teaching me to cope in a better way. And I could only hope to have a better life because of what this person has put on my heart right now. Yeah. I, I, I love it. Like I love every minute of it. And um, and I think the, like the cool thing is, is every now and then I'll get an email from a student and they're like, man, you, you changed my life. Like wow. I, I was going down the wrong path and, uh, you know, and I was getting bad grades and now my grades are up and I've got better relationships with my teachers. And, uh, and so it's really cool to, uh, to get that feedback. Um, yeah, you know, it just, it just makes my day. Yeah. That's awesome. So going back to your story a little bit, kind of like you said, no man is an island. It seemed like your sins were affecting other people. You said that even affected your firstborn son. Now, when you and your wife first got married, 
I guess, what did your life look like then? And were you following Christ at the time or were you just kind of like a lukewarm Christian? What, what was it like? I had no relationship with Christ. I did not want a relationship with Christ. Um, My parents had raised me in the Southern Baptist church. um, And as soon as I was able to get out, I, I got out. And I mean, it was to the point to where like, um, if I turn the radio station and it, it like, you know, it's scanning and it landed on a Christian radio station. Like I was like hitting the radio as fast as I could because I did not, (laughs) I didn't want to hear it, you know? Mm. Um, so I was in in Nashville and my wife was working in Nashville and, um, you know, we had only been married for, um, maybe six months and our son was already three months old and I would leave work and I'd go to the bar and I'd go to a friend's house and I would get high mm-hmm. and then I'd come home and I'd try to be a husband and a dad. And she was like, no, this, like, this ain't going to work. You know, this, wow. you can't you can't live both lives. You have to choose one. Um, and I, in that moment, like I, I made a super bad choice as a husband and a father because my, my whole, my whole mindset was party. Like I just want to party. Um, I didn't want to be an adult. I, I didn't really know how to be an adult. Uh, but I just, I just packed a bag and I, like I left and I lived in a garage for nine months, like nine months long. I lived in a garage estranged from my, from my wife and my child. Wow. And, and she would call me, you know, and she would say, would you please come and, and see your son? Like he needs his dad. And I'd, I'd be like, yeah, I'll be there in a few minutes. And I just, I wouldn't go. Um, and like nine months of those conversations back and forth. Uh, and, um, and one day, like I woke up and I'd been partying all night and I, I woke up as probably one or two in the afternoon when I got up, but I had two thoughts. Um, and the first thought was like, who would care if I didn't show up? Like who would care? And I was just tired. I was tired of being me. I was tired of being sick. I was tired of being, mm. um, sick and tired all the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so my other thought was like, I need to talk with somebody because I'm not in the right frame of mind. Like this is not a, I'm not in a good spot. I don't need to be here. And I couldn't call my mom or my dad. They were mad at me, rightfully so. Couldn't call my brother. He was mad at me, rightfully so. Mm. So I called her and um, and we started to work things out and we still weren't following Christ. Um, that came that came about, gosh, I guess about seven years later. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. About seven years later, we started following Christ. Wow. In between that time, what did your life look like? Because it seemed like there wasn't necessarily repentance per se, because you didn't know right. about your sin and walking away from your sin, but there was some acknowledgement of, hey, what I'm doing right now is not right. And if I want my family to ever be whole and healthy, I got to stop what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so... I mean, in between that time, it was, it was really no direction, um, you know, trying to figure life out and, and because of my actions and because of my behavior, I had lost jobs. Um, I had to start jobs over and, mm. um, I didn't know how to behave at work. I didn't have the cognitive, uh, behavioral, um, knowledge to, to be a good employee. And so. I was working at places, but I wasn't getting promoted. I was kind of like the guy that was like, you know, we're putting up with him. 
Mm. Um, yeah. Cause we need yeah. the body here. Like if, yeah. if <laughs> he can fog a mirror so he can work here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then eventually I, I got a, I got a really good job, um, in Arizona. And so we moved out to Arizona and there still just wasn't any direction. Um, we, we were not living. Um, we weren't happy. Uh, I'll just put it that way. Like we weren't happy. We were not a happy couple. We, we didn't have a happy marriage. Our kids weren't happy. By the time we got to Arizona, we had like three more kids. And, um, and so our, you know, just, there was no happiness. There was no joy in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and then we ended up like losing everything. Like that was around 2007, 2008 and the whole market crashed and everybody lost jobs and their houses and their cars. And, um, and we lost everything and we ended up moving back to Tennessee with my wife's dad. And we, we moved into his basement, um, which wasn't even a basement. It was, a it was a renovated garage, but, but you had to walk downstairs, um, to get to the garage. So, oh, um, wow. so we, we moved into that, um, four kids wow. uh, and, and me and my wife, we moved into that house and I just got a job at a, at a retail store and, um, and tried to work my way up there. Like by that time I was, I was figuring out what a good employee was. And if I wanted to get a promotion, I knew what to do. Yeah. And so I was, I was working at this retail store and, um, and I got promoted and when I got promoted, that's when we moved to Harriman. Um, and it was so like, when I tell this story, people sometimes don't believe me because it's all God. Yeah. Um, but my work was an hour away from Harriman. So oh, my wow. wife came to look for a place, um, in Harriman. I was, I was back in Nashville working. Um, and she came to look for her apartments and she was going to go to Knoxville. That's where my job was going to be. Um, and she got a flat tire right, at, right at the exit in Harriman. So she pulled off and, um, and this guy pulled up and he was like, Hey, can I help you? And she was like, yes, please. You know, I've got all my kids with me and I'm supposed to be looking for an apartment. And, um, and the guy goes, well, I, I actually have an apartment available um, if you, if you'd like to, to check it out. And she was like, well, I don't know how far. And he's like, oh, you're not far. Like you're, you you know, you're not far from Knoxville at all. Just here's my apartment. So she went and, and looked at the apartment and, um, and she loved it. And so we, we moved to Harriman and when we were moving in, he stopped by and he was like, Hey, there's this church. It's Trenton Street. It's Trenton Street Baptist Church. I'd love it if you guys came to visit. And I was like, "No way, dude. I'm not. I'm not doing. I don't want nothing to do with God." Yeah. And my wife was like, "This can't be a coincidence." Yeah. Wow. Like, there's no way this is a coincidence. And she was not raised in in any church. Um, she wasn't raised with with any type of religion or any belief background. I mean, if you would want to call somebody atheist or agnostic, it would have been her. Like that would have, that would have totally described her. Um, I knew, like I knew, I knew in the, in the, in the bottom of my heart, I knew in the back of my mind that Christ was real. I knew that, but her like, yeah, didn't matter. Wasn't interested in talking about it. And so she said to me one morning, she goes, Hey, I'm going to go check out this church. And I was like, you're crazy. Like, um, there's no reason to, 
And she's like, no, there's, there's a reason and I don't know what it is. And I said, okay, well have fun. And she's like, oh no, like I'm getting the kids ready and, and you're coming too. Like oh. you don't, you don't have a choice in the matter. Yeah. Wow. And so I was like, man, I don't, I don't want to do this, but I got up and I got dressed and, and went over and the church was like super welcoming. I mean, yeah, really, really nice. And my whole, my whole plan was I'm, I'm going to drop the kids off, right? I'm going to take them to their Sunday school class. Yeah. I'm going to go stand outside until church starts. Like that was my <laughs> whole plan. <laughs> so, so I'm standing outside and this guy walks up and he's like, Hey man, um, there's a Sunday school class right down here for you. So come follow me. And I was like, like, what am I going to say? I'm not going to say no. Like, yeah. That's not my personality. I don't say no. I'm a yes guy. So, <laughs> um, so I, so I say yes and, and, uh, follow the guy to, to Sunday school and man, did, did life change from there? Like, wow. At first for me, it was about getting a break from the kids on a Sunday. Like yeah. they could go to Sunday school and children's church. And we had that two hours of, of not having to to be like fully invested and, and that sounds terrible but yeah. when you've got four young kids oh uh, i can only imagine yeah yeah you're like how can i get rid of them for just 10 minutes i'm sure a trip to the bathroom is a vacation for you at that point <laughs> yes uh so so that's what it became for me at first was like how do i how do i get some time and, and how do we get some time as a couple Mm -hmm. um, to just not focus on them, but maybe focus on us. And there still wasn't a lot of joy in the marriage, but yeah. like, you could tell something was shifting. Mm -hmm. And that big shift came uh, when we started working with the youth group. And that's where like, we discovered, you know, oh man, like this is something that really matters to both of us. Mm -hmm. And it brings both of us joy and happiness and and we would talk about like we we would talk more you know yeah um and oh you know let me tell you about what so-and-so did or they told me what they did at school and and it was really cool and and so we were you know we were talking more we were we were loving each other more um but we still weren't saved like you know and yeah. and we didn't we didn't have a real relationship with Christ. We were just going through motions mm. and it was but you guys were still, I'm oh, sorry. You guys were still continue going to church though. At that point, even though you still didn't really have a relationship with Christ, it seemed like your guys' marriage was kind of getting better, but it's still, Jesus wasn't in the middle of it. Right. Yeah. Jesus was not the center of it. Mm. Um, it was more about like, we had found some friends and, um, and we kind of, we kind of found something that we both like serving in and, and helping with. And, um, but Jesus was not the center of our, of our marriage. And, and that, like, that became really apparent later on. Um, but right before Christmas of 2011, um, the pastor was preaching a message. It was a, uh, it was a Sunday evening and we were at Sunday evening church, which was, which like blew my mind because you couldn't even get me to Sunday morning. And here I am. Yeah. Sunday, Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Yeah. Um, and he's preaching a message. And so he does this, uh, he does this altar call 
and I'm I'm sitting there, and I you know I've got my 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 head down, and my eyes are closed, and I'm like, Lord, if this is real, like if this is really really real, I I need you to show me. Like I I just can't I just can't take a step without you like telling me or showing me that that this is real. Mm. And if this is real, then what I would I would like for you to do, and this is my prayer. I'm like, I'm asking, like, here's what I want you to do, God. I want you to do yeah. this for, for me. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, will you show me like someone else in this room has the courage to be saved, like right now? Wow. And and I just waited. And I and I thought, well, I, I need to look because it's every head bowed and every eye closed. Yeah. And no, right. No peeking. Right. That's the, that's <laughs> yeah. The, no, no one's looking around. Well, there's people oh, looking around. Okay. Let me tell yeah. you. Um, <laughs> so I open my eyes and my wife is, is walking up. To Dude, the front. No way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, Dude. and I was like, oh man, I, I have to go like, I have to go up there not to, not to support her. And I know that's crazy sounding. Yeah. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like I need to go for me because yeah. I just asked God to show me and he showed me Shoot. and he showed me in the most magnificent way. And so, so I, I went up and, and the pastor was, was kind of like, why are you up here? Like he was pretty suspicious. Like, are you just up here because she's up here or are you up here because mm. you really want to be saved? And I, I told him, I said, I, I asked God to show me that, that someone else would have the courage uh, in this room to be saved. And yeah, he definitely showed me. And so the next, the next Sunday we both, we both got baptized and, um, and it was, it was on from there. Yeah. Dude, that is beautiful. Wow. Dude, I have, there's so many divine things in the story as you're talking. Like, first of all, the fact that your wife was willing to stay with you for so long, not saying that that's not good, but the fact that she wasn't saved that, you know, because most people nowadays, they just think that marriage is a piece of paper. And I totally give it, get it. If you don't think it's a covenant between you and God, it's just a piece of paper, you know? So the fact that you were out partying, smoking, not being there for your son, not being there for your kids, and she didn't leave, first of all, that's that's crazy. Like that, there must have been something in her heart that God was weaving even before you guys even went to church. And for the fact that she was looking for an apartment and her car broke down and the guy that helped you guys find that apartment was the one that invited you guys to church. Dude, that's all so divine. That's just so intricately woven in and out throughout the entire story. Wow, dude, that's amazing. Yeah, I always say like, um, God gave her this incredible amount of patience. Mm. Um, and and I see it every day because all of our kids, like our oldest son has autism. Mm. Um, our, our, um, oldest daughter has autism. Our middle daughter has autism. And then our youngest daughter is a typical child, but she's a type one diabetic. 
Wow. And I see my wife's patience every single day, not only in the way that she's loved me, but in the way that she loves her, our children. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Dude. Let's talk about that for a second, if you don't mind. I know this might be kind of going a little bit off the tail of your story, but I guess into it at the same time. What comes across your mind when you find out, when you get news like that, that your child has autism? Because, I mean, I don't have kids yet, and I don't know how I'd respond to it. I mean, it's not like I'd be mad, but I, I feel like as humans, we almost have this some type of expectation that, oh, I'm going to have a kid and my life is going to be great and hopefully it'll be easy. And not saying that somebody with autism isn't lovable, but it's definitely a challenge. There's a, It's an entirely different world. So what goes through your head when you get news like that? So when we, when we found out, um, we knew for a long time something was off, um, but we didn't have the right doctors at the, at the time. And so they were just telling us like, Hey, he's, uh, he's a little bit delayed, but you know, most boys are, some boys don't talk for a really long time and, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. So he'll come around. And, um, so when, when she was pregnant with, with our, our son, you know, I was like, Oh man, this is going to be like baseball gloves and basketballs and footballs. Yeah, and then he had like no interest in any of those things. <laughs> it was just like trains. I just want to. I just want to look at trains. That's all I want to do. But when we found out, um, my first my first initial thought was, "What did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. Did I wow. hold him wrong? Did wow. I um, did I not put him to bed in time? Like, wow. what did I do wrong?" And then. You go through a grieving process, even though he's alive and and he's really well. I mean, yeah, you still go through a grieving process because you know I wanted, I wanted to teach him how to throw a ball. I wanted to teach him to play basketball. Um, I wanted to teach him to do all the things that that I did, how to ride a bike. Um, and he just had no interest in those things. And so, at first, I you know it was like, what did I do wrong? And is it something with my genetics? Is there a family history here? Is there a family history on her side? And of course, you know, she was like, what did she do wrong during the pregnancy? You know, like, Uh did I eat something wrong? Did I not take enough vitamins? Did I not go to the doctor enough? Like, yeah, what did we do wrong? And, um, and then after we went through the grieving process of like, Hey, he's not gonna he's not gonna be who we expected him to be, mm. but he's gonna be who he is. Mm. And how can we support him in that? And yeah. so um what she did was she quit her job. I mean, we we were already broke, so it didn't really matter, but yeah, um, she quit her job and she learned everything she could about speech therapy and occupational therapy. And it took her two years for him to learn how to say like ball or dad or mom. Um, his first word was ball, but she did that. Like she, she worked so hard and so patiently to teach him how to speak 
Mm. Even when, like, I mean, there were times I was like, he ain't never going to get it. Like, he's just going to be a nonverbal child, and we're going to have to live with that. Mm. And she taught him how to speak. And I'll tell you an incredible moment. Um, Back in 2016, uh, he stood on a stage on Mother's Day and read a thank you letter to her. Really? And I mean, it was just, I mean, it makes me, makes me want to cry now. Yeah. Um, But now, now he's 20 and he loves everything about football, everything about basketball, everything about hockey. And, you know, I think sometimes we, and I, I didn't know, I didn't have a relationship with God at the time, but, but looking back, it's like you expect God to give you what you want in that moment, mm. but he needs to mold you and shape you and turn you into the person that you're supposed to be before, before you get the relationship with your son that you want, or mm. you do the things with your son that you were expecting. Yeah. Because we do basketball games. We do football games. Like, like God, God knew that I, I wasn't ready for that type of relationship like with my son, like he knew that and I had to wait for that. I had to wait a really long time for that relationship, but that was just part, I believe of of God shaping and molding me to be the father and the husband that he wanted me to be Mm. not the dad or the husband that my wife expected, not the dad or the husband that anybody expected me to be, but God was making me who he wanted me to be. Mm. until um and would not give me that the relationship that i wanted with my son until i was ready for that and i recognize that now back then i i didn't i didn't have a clue and i was so mad you know and and disappointed that i wasn't gonna have my opportunity to play ball or Mm. you know um watch my son you know, score the winning shot at a basketball game. I was so mad about that. Mm. Um, but man, did did God really turn me into who he wanted me to be first? Yeah. Before he gave me that opportunity. Mm. Wow. That's powerful, man. Like I read a book once about God's unconditional love and it talks about how he is willing to come down change our lives, maybe wreck it a little bit, but do whatever it takes to make us look more like him. And if that's not love, I don't know what is. And of course, as human means, we're going to find that offensive. We're going to, we don't like that because it's out of our control, but that's true love for somebody who was literally perfect to say, I love you so much. I'm going to come down and do whatever it takes to change you to be more like me. And it seems like that's what he did with you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Are you enjoying the Road to Reconstruction podcast? Well, if you want even more, you could sign up at our Patreon today. For $5 a month, you could get early access to these podcasts and bonus content with extended interviews. So this episode right now, everybody else got to see it a week before it came out. And we usually go over time in these interviews. Therefore, there's always a lot of extra material that I will be putting on the Patreon. 
You can get all of this today for only $5 on our Patreon. I will link it in the description as well, but it always helps me out a lot and you get all the extra material. So go sign up today. Thank you again for watching. Back to the episode. So now your son's 20 years old. He's playing basketball. He likes sports. You know, you're finally at this place. What is it like with your daughters now? Oh, man. Um, well, let me take you back a little bit um, because I think it's important to talk about my relationship with them when I was a youth pastor and a pastor. Um, it was a it was a damaged relationship. Um, they did not want their dad to be a pastor or a youth pastor. Mm. And it was it was difficult um a few years ago right before covid um right before covid hit um a church had had reached out and said hey we're kind of a dying church we're looking for a pastor um we don't have any youth here uh would you come and and just see maybe you're a good fit for our church and so so we we went and i i was their interim pastor for uh, about 90 days and then um and then they voted and and made me their their full-time pastor wow and as soon as as soon as that happened um like everything changed like as soon as i became the full-time pastor everything changed because yeah i'm a full-time pastor there but i also have a full-time job mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm trying to split my time between church family and work yeah. Uh, and I don't have regular work hours. So sometimes my work hours take me late into the night and I don't get home till eight, nine o'clock at night. Um, but if I have to go see somebody in the hospital that I'm not getting home till 1130 midnight um, and I'm supposed to have some type of relationship with my kids. Wow. Um, and so um, there were a lot of expectations of, you know, you need to be at the hospital. You need to be calling um, every day to check on us and um, and all things that like weren't set ahead of time, you know, like we just want you to come be a pastor and, and help grow the church. And uh, and the church started to grow. Like we, we started to get a youth group and we went from nine people on a Sunday morning to 45 and, um, and like it was going really well, but then there were some members that started attacking my kids, like, mm. um, and just making up things that that weren't even true and uh, and my kids had a really difficult time with it and so we did that for um for one year and uh the church that we were at prior to that they they called and said hey you know we're looking for a youth pastor and we think it'd be a really good fit and i had already been talking to my wife about like stepping down like i just i just don't think that this is where we need to be. It's damaging my relationship with my my children. And, and I've seen that happen to other pastors and I don't want that to happen to me, you know? And so, um, so we saw this opportunity like, Hey, let's, let's go be, let's go do the youth pastor. We know there's, um, that's like our home church. Like that's where our kids kind of really grew up at and, um, and they know all the youth there already. And so let's go back. And so, um, so we went back as, as youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for 30 days and the pastor announced that he was retiring. Um, and 
and then basically the church said, well, well, Nathan, you need to, um, you need to step up and fill in and be the interim. And the youth will just have to come over to the church on Wednesday nights. Like no more youth group. They just have to come over. We ended up losing like most of our youth. They didn't want to come over to the church on Wednesday nights. Um, and so, um, so then the church was like, Hey, like really honestly, we want you to be the pastor and we'll find a youth pastor. And I said, well, okay. And, you know, for, for a long time, so many people told me what God told them I should be. And I believed it. Mm. And I've learned that God is not going to give you an assignment through somebody else. Wow. He's going to give you an assignment one-on-one. Like there's no, um, there's no telephone game. Like, yeah. Hey, tell Nathan he's supposed to be a pastor. Hey, tell Nathan he's supposed to be a pastor. Um, hey, tell Nathan he's put out the pasture. Um, you know, like, um, so, so they voted me in. I became pastor and, um, and that was at the end of 2022. Um, no, that was March of 2022. I stayed until uh, August of this year. Uh, and I watched my my relationship with my family crumble. Um, I just didn't have the time. Um, I couldn't fulfill the time requirements of a full-time pastor and a full-time employee and a full-time husband and father. And so I stepped down um, in August of 2023. And that's when my relationship with my kids changed. Mm. I got to spend so much more time with my daughters. Um, I got to take them on daddy daughter dates and I got to like tap into their mindset and what their goals and their dreams were. Um, my daughter had told me she wanted to start a baking business. Uh, she, my oldest daughter, she's 17 and um and she made me some cookies and man i'm like i'm not bragging i'm like these are the best cookies i've ever had in my entire life wow. um and so i said well whatever you need let me know like i'll i'll buy it and so she started this little cookie business um and she sells cookies to realtors uh in in the area and she's happy like she's happy doing doing her life yeah um, our middle our middle daughter wanted to go to college and um, and we talked about what that looked like and, and what are her dreams for college and what are her expectations and what are her challenges and, uh, and to be able to be the, a dad and just not have to worry about who's in the hospital, who's arguing, who's, who's bickering, who's telling, um, who's, who's sharing gossip and to not have to worry about those things, but to just be a dad and be like, um, you know, hey, what do you want to do today? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you want to talk about today? And I remember, like, I remember this breakthrough moment with my middle daughter where she was having a really bad day. She had shut down, wasn't talking, uh, and I just went into her room and I, um, I turned on some YouTube videos, and and I said, hey, look at this video. And she wouldn't look at the video, and and I said, hey, what what's your favorite music? And so. Um, and so she's like, oh, I really like Eminem and I'm like, okay, great. Have you ever seen eight mile? And she's like, no, I've never seen eight mile. And so I pull up the rap battle, right? Like the, 
yeah. the ending rap battle of eight mile. And she was like, Oh my. And so, so then I said, Hey, you know, what's going on now that, now that we've got a little bit of dialogue here, what's going on. And she opened up to me and, and just poured everything out. And she's like, I don't think you realized what you did earlier today. And it really upset me. And, and I really needed to, um, I really needed you to understand, but you weren't listening to me. And so in that moment, like, I'm hearing all these like kind of complaints, but I'm like, holy cow, I'm a dad. Like I'm a dad, like I'm a real dad. Like this is happening for me. Um, and so that was a big breakthrough moment for her and my youngest daughter. We had a really awesome breakthrough moment. Uh, we were, we were playing putt putt with everybody. Um, and I, I guess I had made a comment that, that had offended her or made her upset. And I didn't realize that I had done it. And, if the, if any dads listen to your podcast, I'm just going to tell you, if you have daughters, you're going to offend them and you're not going to know why um, unless they tell you. But um, but it was really cool because um, she wasn't really talking. She wasn't really having fun. And I'm like, what the heck, man? Like we're playing putt-putt and it's an awesome course and everybody else is having fun. My two older daughters pulled me aside and they said, hey, dad, she's not talking to you because this is what you said and this is how she took it. Mm. oh man in this moment i could be like well she needs to get over it or i could be like hey my bad you know i'm still learning i'm still growing um and i want to i want to know how i can best serve you as your dad and so that was like that was like breakthrough moment for me and her like everything just poured out and uh and then we we had a great time with putt putt and dinner and Mm. uh, and all that stuff so so our relationship now is really, really good. And, um, and that's exciting, but it's also scary because they're all getting ready to leave the house. Like, um, college is going to start and for my, for my middle daughter and, um, in May and she's, she's leaving, like she's leaving for college and it's like, Oh, but I want you to stay. Like, I, I feel like we're just getting this down, you know? Um, so, so yeah, it's a, it's a awesome, um, but it's scary and yeah. um, exciting and, and all the different ways. Yeah. Wow. Like, I feel like you, you tell me all these things, like one's going to college, one's having a baking business now, the other, it seems like it, it doesn't even seem like autism is like a thing almost, you know, yeah. if you and your wife had not loved your kids the way that you have with your patience, with your love, with your kindness, it seems like they would not be where they are today without you guys loving them as much as you did because of Christ loving you guys. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I agree with you because, you know, our middle daughter, um, she was not diagnosed with autism until she was 12 years old. It's harder for girls to be diagnosed with autism than it is for boys um, because girls mask better. Mm. Um, they they don't show their their true emotion. Um, one of the like one of the tests that they they used to do for uh, for autism involved eye contact. Like how long can somebody make eye contact? Our daughter can make eye contact forever. Like she would stare you down. Like. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter to her at all. And they would disqualify her. They would say, no, she makes eye contact. So, um, 
So there's, there's no autism here. And we fought and we, cause we knew, like we knew, we knew, um, we knew everything about our son, right? Like we knew all of his tics and all of his motions. And we saw all those things in her, but there were just a few things that the doctors are like, no, this isn't autism. This is a, this is like mood disorder. This is a, this is some type of, of mental health issue. It's not, it's not autism. And we were like, no way. Like we, we know this is autism. And we even went and, um, and found a, um, an ABA therapist and, uh, that's like applied behavioral. I don't, I don't remember what the acronym means, but it's, uh, they basically work with, with children who have autism, um, to try to help them manage, you know, just their, uh, their impulses and, and stuff. And it's very expensive. If you, if your insurance does not cover ABA therapy, it's very, very expensive. And so we found this lady and we were like, Hey, you know, we're just going to have to pay you. We don't, we don't, our insurance is going to cover it. Um, but we don't even have a diagnosis. And so will you, will you work with us? And she was like, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and she started working with our daughter and it was a week and she was like, I'm not a doctor, but this is autism. Mm. Like this is autism. Yeah. And, and we were like, yeah, like we know, like we know. Uh, and so we fought and we fought and we fought and we took her back to, um, we took her to this new doctor in Knoxville and he was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll do an assessment, but I don't, he's like, I don't really give any information after the first assessment. And we were like, okay. And so we walked out of there thinking like, we're going to be disappointed again when we come to sit down and, and he's just going to tell us, Hey, this is an autism. I don't know what it is. And so we got called back and um, it was about three weeks later and, and we walked in his office and he said, why don't you all sit down? Um, and, and he said, this is autism. And we were just like, wow, what? Somebody, somebody gets it. Somebody. So like we, that was love that, that we were fighting for her because we knew, we knew it wasn't mental health issues. No, that does come with autism. Like that's a, that's, you know, it's a part of it. Um, but that wasn't, that wasn't the diagnosis. The diagnosis is autism, but, but it's that love that we have for her to say, we're going to figure this out. Like, we're not going to give up on you. We're not going to stop fighting. We're not going to quit. We're going to keep pushing through. We're going to keep knocking down every single door that we can knock down for you because we love you. And if you think about that for just a second, that's what the love of Christ did for us, Mm. right? That is exactly. He refused to give up for us. Yeah. He refused to quit. He refused to lay down. Like he kept fighting and fighting and fighting, and he still continues to fight for us today. Um, and and if any if anybody can can recognize that when they can see that that Jesus the 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 Messiah has never quit, has never given up, has never laid down. Um, and just been like, ah, I'm, I'm done. You'll do that. You'll do that for people. You'll, no matter who they are, you will do that for people. Um, and I, I think that's what I don't, I know that's what made us better parents Mm. was, yeah, was centering Christ in our marriage and then centering Christ as, as a mom and a dad. Mm. 
Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. It's crazy to see your guys' journey from the day you had Jake to now. That's, That's unbelievable, man. Yeah. So really quick, let's go back to when you said you left the church, when you were like, all right, I'm not going to be a pastor anymore because I don't get a chance to be a father. So how did that leave you and your relationship with those people in the church and you being the head pastor? Did you technically like quit or like, like, I guess, what did that look like? So, um, in June, in June of 2023, I was in a, in a meeting, um, with the deacons and, um, and there's a deacon that looked across the table. Um, he was right across the table from me and he, he looked directly at me and he said, you are a failure. Whoa. And, um, and I said, well, I'm, I'm not a failure. Um, I'm a lifelong learner. And I, I walked out of the room and I, um, and we were getting ready to have church service. Like, and I don't know why this is, but I don't know why people always come and like give a pastor bad news or they say something mean right before he's supposed to deliver a message because that's just, I mean, but it always oh, yeah. happens. So, um, man. so I walk out of the room and I, and I go into the sanctuary and I, I preach my sermon and, um, and me and my wife always had to take different cars to the church because I would leave work and she would leave home. Um, and then we would just meet at the church. And so I stopped her and I said, Hey, can you just like send the kids to the gym? Like, I, I want to talk about this for a little bit. And so I said, you know, I just, I just know that I'm supposed to be out speaking to youth. Like I'm not a pastor. This is not who I am. It's not who I'm supposed to be. And I, I want to take the leap. Like I, I just want to trust God and I want to, I want to try to start this speaking career. And she went, if that's what God wants you to do, then you need to do it. And I said, okay. And so I, I had to take, um, I didn't have to take, I got to take some youth to a leadership camp, um, about five hours away. And while I was there, I mean, it was just like, I was done. I was done. Um, I had, I'd lost so many friends. Um, some of the congregation, the majority of the congregation had left. Um, and, and I wasn't doing what I felt like God wanted me to do. Mm. And so I came back from that leadership camp on a Saturday night and I came in Sunday morning and I preached my message and I asked everybody to sit down and I said, um, I said, I'm, I'm going to resign. Um, I'm going to give you a 30 day notice and, um, and then after that, I'm, I'm done. And, uh, there, there was one lady who was like, yeah, woo. oh my gosh, like, okay. I, 
Like she was happy you were leaving or like happy that you were doing what God was calling you to? Happy I was leaving. Oh, um, what the but, heck, man? But it's always, it, it had always been that type of relationship between me and her. There there really was um, no mercy and no grace um, in that relationship. Um, and that's that's fine. Like she'll have to deal with that someday. And mm. um, and I, I love her. I love her from a distance. Um, but um but yeah so i so i stepped down and here's the crazy thing like i stepped down and on monday morning um i have this email and it's a it's a pretty big conference and it's like hey uh we heard that you're a really good speaker and we would love to pay you to come speak um at our conference and for me that was just like it was like God was just like, "Hey, here you go. Like you did exactly what I wanted you to do. Wow. You walk through the door, and yeah. now I'm going to provide for you." I've been booked ever since. Like I've not had an issue booking. Um, and uh, I just met with a with an organization today, um, out of out of Phoenix, and uh, they they book speakers um all the time and uh we had a really great conversation today and uh it looks like i'll be booked for a really long time now so dude um, no yeah, way so, man yeah it's is i mean in the moment though like you're like okay i'm gonna take this leap and i don't know what's gonna happen like mm. i don't have any clue um nobody really talks to me um <laughs> from that church anymore and wow. um and that was hard uh, yeah, I can't tell you, even though like my wife and my kids were all around me, I felt so lonely. I felt so mm. alone and I yeah. felt abandoned by God. And, yeah. and that was a scary place to be. But I also saw like how he was providing. Yeah. And it was just this weird spot. You know, I, I don't know to where it's like, you're just like, man, I don't really get this and I want to be mad at you, but I'm not mad at you. But I also feel like you're just not there mm. and, and I'm alone on this island now. And that was, that was hard. Um, my wife, uh, she pulled me aside one night and she was like, Hey, you are really distant. And we need you to like plug back in. Mm. She's, and she said, I'm not going to get in the way of your relationship with God. And I'm not going to like tell you how to have your relationship with God. But I need you to know that, that whatever you're going through with him, it can affect us. Mm. Like it, it can't, you have to be a husband and a father. Wow. And, and that's where like, for me, it was like, okay, I need to, I need to snap in and be dad and, and be husband. And, um, and so I just started working through it, but it was a, like, it was a tough battle. Like I was asking questions. Like I'd wake up in the morning and be like, God, you know, there's this quote that you're the average of the five people that you surround yourself with. Well, you surround yourself with some pretty crappy people. Mm. And I would just leave it at that. Like, so what does that say about you, God? Like mm. there's some, there's some, 
pretty bad people out there that claim to be Christians. And mm. and then I would have these moments of like, yeah, but I'm one of those. I'm, one, I'm, one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a pretty crappy person sometimes, <laughs> you know? So, um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a really tough moment. And, and to be honest with you, like, we're not a member of a church. We're not members of a church right now. We're, we're not steadily going to a church. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, we are praying together and we're studying together and, um, we're loving one another and um and we're you know we're trying to figure that out and navigate that um we want to go back to church but we just don't know right now what what direction to go and and what to do so mm, wow so many thoughts that i have and i hope i could get all of them cuz i had so many thoughts as you're sharing that part first the first thing that comes to my head, man, first of all, I am so sorry that you had to go through that, where that deacon looked at you and said you're a failure because that would have wrecked me. You know, I have identity issues. I have issues with knowing where my worth is and that it is in Christ. I know that's true. I have issues believing that for myself sometimes. But for somebody to sit across from you and look at you dead in the face and say, you are a failure, that's hard. And you had an amazing response to say, I'm a lifelong learner. You know, you said, no, I'm not. But man, sheesh, that that would have wrecked me, man. And I commend you for I mean, I know it still affected you probably to some extent, but handling it so well like you are now, that that speaks volumes to your character, first of all. And to me, I can't help but see the irony of how ironic is it for this congregation of people to say, you're the guy, you're the guy. God told me that you're the guy. And you're like, whoa, like, no, I'm not though. Like, God never told me that. Like, if he really wanted this for my life, why is he telling you this? So it's funny how these people are saying, you're the guy. And then when you come to terms with yourself and God saying, hey, I think I'm going to be honest with myself and say, no, I'm not. And I don't think I ever was in the first place. And now they're upset about it. It's like, bro, you <laughs> you were never the one that said God called me. Like, you know, you guys were the ones that they were the ones that put you on this pedestal and now they're mad when you step off of it. So there's a lot of irony in that for me. Yeah. And, and they, they didn't know what type of pastor I would be. Um, Hmm. because I, I wanted, um, I really wanted to, uh, take what, what Jesus said to heart. Like I really wanted um to be the church Mm. but i also wanted to help the homeless yeah i wanted to to visit the the ones that are in jail um i wanted to to heal the sick um like i really wanted those things and that's not what they wanted and and that was that was very apparent very clear and and i'm not saying all of them I'm, i'm sure that there were some well i know that there were some that were like yeah let's Let's help the homeless. Um, mm. You know, I, I know that there is some like, but uh, you know, there there was uh, there was a, a guy that was walking from like Oregon all the way to Florida, and he stopped. I saw him one day on the side of the road, 
Um, and he was walking for suicide awareness. And I said, I stopped him and I said, man, that's awesome. I, I love what you're doing. Um, I'm the pastor of this church and um, I'd really like you to to come out tonight. We're actually having a dinner. And um, and if you if you don't think you're going to make it walking, like I'll I'll drive you like I'll, I'll take you up there. And, and he was like, no, no, no. I'll make it walking. It's just, I have to walk. I don't accept any rides. And I was like, cool. Um, and so I showed him like how far it was and where to go. And when I got out there that night, um, he was just walking up to the church. And so, um, so I, I took him inside and, and they were having this dinner and, um, and got him food. And then um, I said, Hey, where, where are you staying tonight? And he said, well, I, he said, I have a tent and I just, I just stay outside. I don't, I don't sleep inside. I, I do this to bring awareness um, oh, wow. to to victims of suicide. And I said, well, I said, if you want, you can set up your tent um, outside. I said, or I can open our garage and there's an air mattress um, from one of our youth trips. I can blow it up and you can sleep on that and you and your dog can sleep in the garage. So technically it's not out, like you're not inside. Yeah. You're still kind of like that. Yeah. I was like, yeah, cool. I got so many phone calls. Like, what are you doing? Have you lost your mind? You can't do that. That's against the law. Like, mm. I got so many of those phone calls, and I and I just responded with, "We're supposed to house the homeless, right? Like, mm. yeah. this guy isn't dangerous. Um, I I did my research on him, did my background checks on him. Yeah, like he's not a dangerous guy. He's doing something. Um, he had some faith issues." And so I wanted to show him the love of Christ, show him mm. that that not all churches were the same. Wow. Um, and he never he never heard about any of those phone calls. Never, it wasn't. A, I didn't tell him nothing. Mm. Um, but that turned into um, somebody starting a rumor that I had bought like fifteen trailer homes out of Florida, and they were waiting to be delivered to the church property, and then I was going to house homeless. On the church property. <laughs> what? So, How I, did yeah, that? I know. I, I know. It, it's <laughs> listen. Um, so I I just was like, that's ridiculous. And the funny thing was, is um I was scheduled to go to Florida like that week. Like I um I had a trip planned and me and my wife were were going to Florida. Yeah. And um, and so we went down to Florida and a buddy of mine called me. And he was like, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm rounding up all these trailers, getting them all set and ready to go. <laughs> but, no um, but yeah, so I, that's, I mean, honestly, if that would have been an opportunity, I totally would have done it. Um, yeah. You know, if the church would have been on board, I, I totally would have done it. Mm. Um, and I, I wanted to help people in addiction. I wanted to help people. Yeah. Um, with that were struggling in their marriages. I wanted to help people who were hungry. Mm. I wanted to do all of that. And and I wanted the church to to not be self-serving, but to be not to be inward, but to be outward. Mm. And the more that the more that I pushed for that, the more that, that they just did not respond and um, mm. and didn't really want a part of it. And it doesn't make them bad people. I, I don't think any of them are bad people um i just don't think i was the guy they expected me to be um hmm. and and that's okay like you know and and going back to that original thought like it must have been hard for that guy to to look at me and say you're a failure um 
by that time in my life, I had, I had kind of gone through some, some shaping and molding that God had brought me through from my past. Mm. And I would always look at my past and I'd always say, I was like, I am a failure. Like I, I messed up so much and I, and I failed so much. And God really brought me through all of that and showed me like, you're not, you're not Mm. a failure. Look at all the lives you've impacted by, um, by the work that you do. Look at all Mm. the people that, that you've helped. And, and, you know, and so he really brought me through all of that to where I knew, I knew that if somebody walked up to me and said, you're a failure, I no, I'm not, I'm not, I, I make an impact. Like I'm, I am a learner. Yeah. Because every failure, every single failure that I've encountered, I've learned something from it. Yeah. And it's made who I am today. And so in that moment, like it was just, it was the wrong thing for him to say. Yeah. Because I knew, like, I don't know. It's, it'd be like telling Michael Jordan, you're a bad basketball player. Michael yeah. Jordan yeah. Knows he's not a bad basketball player. And I'm not saying like I'm <laughs> the greatest ever, but I know I'm not a failure. Yeah. I know that I make a difference in this world. Wow. And so in that moment, I was like, it didn't even phase me. It, it really didn't. Yeah. It only, it only, it only helped me realize like I'm not supposed to be here. Mm. That's, that's what it did for me. Dude, I aspire to be as rooted in my identity that you are in because dude, that's, that's incredible, man. You truly know the true love of God and his will and calling on your life for you. Cause that's again, the, for me, I, I would have been, that would have been my whole testimony right here about how this guy called me a failure and how, <laughs> how I couldn't take it, you know, like, but man, that is amazing. And as you're telling me this, I think of, I'm going to botch it, but somebody talked about how, like, if we truly know Jesus, it's by when somebody says, hey, you know what? I was hungry and you fed me. That's what true love is. You know, the time that you helped that homeless guy out when you brought him inside, that was loving him, you know? even though that was a rumor of you getting 15 trailers and getting all these homeless people, it's hilarious because you're saying, yeah, that was a rumor. I never would have done that, but I would have done that. Like if I had the opportunity, like if, if that church was on board, I totally would have done that. And so yeah. it really makes me think of like, man, what type of pastor did these people want? Like, did they want some guy just to preach messages all the time? And you guys are kind of hidden in this one church and then maybe somebody goes out every now and then and, tell somebody Jesus loves them, but you're literally out here being Jesus to people, doing the work that we should be doing as Christians, and they're getting upset about it. So again, I don't, I could really go after all those people's characters right now, but I think like you said best, you just weren't the right fit. You weren't the person they were looking for to be their pastor. I I wasn't the guy because I wasn't the guy that God wanted in that pulpit. Mm, Um, Yeah. I, you know, I, again, people came at me and they're like, Hey, God gave me this dream that you're the pastor. And, mm-hmm. and so you're supposed to be the pastor. And it's like, Oh, okay. All right. I'm not, but I, I haven't had that dream. Like, but I have had a dream about like speaking to tens of thousands of kids. Like I, I've had a dream like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I mean, if you're telling me that, then I guess I believe you. And, you know, and then yeah. people and they'll be like, Hey, God spoke to me and, and told me you're going to be the next pastor. And, 
Um, but there was one guy and, um, and this was, this is kind of weird, but, um, at the time I was kind of like, that's a rude thing to say, but he came up to me right before the church voted me in as the pastor. And he said, you're not supposed to be the pastor here. Really? And I went, well, okay. Everybody's got an opinion. And, and I just walked away, you know? Um, but now like I recognize, like, I'm pretty sure that God spoke to his heart and, huh. and said, be a voice of reason for this guy. Like mm. maybe, maybe he'll listen to this side as well, as much as he listened to the other side of you're supposed to be the pastor. You're supposed to be the pastor. Wow. Um, and you know, when you start hearing that, I think you're, you're, um, I almost want to say like your arrogance starts to, you kind of start to get puffed up and, Oh yeah, I'm supposed to be the pastor. I'm that's mm. going to be my pulpit. And yeah. And then when someone with a voice of reason comes up to you and says, Hey, you're not supposed to be the pastor here. You just disregard it, you know, mm. and you don't think anything of it. And I, at the time I was like, really annoyed with the guy but now i'm thankful for that guy like i'm wow. really super thankful that that he had the courage to look me straight in the face and say you ain't the guy man you know dude this is awesome man i oh i can't even put to words how much my mind lights up when we aren't validated and we say, you know what, that person there, they're onto something, you know? Yeah. There's something about invalidating yourself. And I know that's exactly what we go against, not as just culture, but humans. I like validating myself. I like when other people validate myself. When somebody doesn't validate you and it somehow speaks truth, again, it has to be out of love. Like, you know, I and I hope that guy did it out of love as well. But wow, man, that's that's awesome and it also goes to show yeah i i, I don't know it's, it's yeah. so cool and and the the crazy thing too is is he wasn't the only one mm. my wife told me you're making a mistake really yeah and i didn't listen to her and wow. i said no but all these people have told me yeah all these people have said my best friend yeah, the the pastor who's currently there, uh, the associate pastor, um, the men in my Bible study, mm. some of the women like wow. women Bible study, they've all told me, and my and my wife said you're making a big mistake, and and she said Nathan, you're an evangelist, you're not a pastor, wow. and I went well, you know. Um, you got to submit to your husband. Um, oh, I'm the yeah. man of the house. I can make mm. this decision. And, um, and I made it and, and, and her loving patience, she said, okay, we'll, we'll do this. Mm. Um, and, and man, I'll, I'll be danged if as soon as I stepped down, she wasn't like, I told you so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, isn't that how God works in our lives too? We say, no, God, I got this. And he says, okay, I'll let you do it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Dude, that yeah. really does just go to show why we should not let others define who we are or what God has called on our lives. Yeah. I, 
biggest takeaway lesson for me um, was God is not going to tell somebody else what your assignment is. Mm. Um, that's that's my biggest takeaway um, because it's never going to work. It's never going to work. Yeah. that's so beautiful man and i think it's crazy too how you said that you're getting all these calls and you're fully booked now with speaking to the youth yeah because if i'm being honest i saw your facebook and i saw you were doing that and in my head i'm like oh there's no way like he's actually making a living doing this it's like I, i know this might be dumb and i hope some people, or I hope even you get this metaphor, but it's almost like you're a rapper. It's like if you were to say, like, if you were to quit being a pastor and you're like, you know what? I'm going to start rapping at churches and you're posting yeah, yeah. I'd be like, dude, this guy's out of his mind. He's he's not making money. How is he providing for his family, you know? So, I mean, like, again, like that that's kind of like, and I'm sure I'm curious if other people think that, but that was almost like my thought when I saw you doing this. But it's amazing to hear that God... Yeah is providing through this and you're fully booked. I mean, dude, that, that just goes to show that this is where he wants you to be. And he's blessing your obedience for stepping away from the thing he didn't call you to be. Yeah. Yeah. He, he gave me a different kind of pulpit. Um, Mm, Wow. and, And he made it, um, he made it to where it was, it was his decree, right? It wasn't, mm. it wasn't what anybody else thought I should be. It wasn't what, um, it wasn't what people dreamt about. Like I had this dream and this is, it was, Nathan, you have a talent. Um, you can tell a story. Uh, you have a good speaking voice. Um, and you have the story that I ordained in your life. Like that, mm. the story isn't even mine. It's his. And I just get to tell it. Yeah. And so, um, so I, I thought it was kind of, I thought it was kind of a crazy idea too, because like whenever I hear the word motivational speaker, I just, I'm just kind of like, nah, yeah, yeah, right. Whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's really kind of what my title is. Yeah. Um, even though I try to change it, I try to like, I try to make it a lot cooler, like youth inspirational speaker. Yeah. Um, but it's really just motivational speaking. Um, Mm. But yeah, it, it happened the way that he wanted it to happen. Like he paved the way for me. So um, I, I randomly entered into this competition uh, in 2023, Um, 26,000 people entered the competition. um, And I, I made it into the top 150 out of the 26,000. And it was a speaking contest. Wow. Uh, And, and so, um, the top 150, they, we were all, uh, at this hotel for a week and, you know, the goal is to get to Friday. Cause if you're at Friday, you're in the top 25. So Thursday I walk in and they're like, Hey, um, thanks for hanging out with us, but you're cut. And I was like, cool. All right. See ya. So I, I go back to the hotel room and my, and my wife is there and she's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, I'm not. Like top 150 was way better than I thought I was going to do. And, and I really just wanted to see if I belonged in a room and, and to beat 26,000 other people and get to the top, like that's a win for me. Like this is, yeah, wow. this is something I can build off of. And so I, I took that 
and I, I built off of that. And that was like, that was all God. Like, mm. um, you know, I, I was in bed one night and I saw an advertisement for this competition and it was like 90 bucks to enter. And I was like, I'm just going to give it a shot. And, and that just really just kind of paved the way for me. And, um, and when I was at the competition, like I was learning from other guys who were already in the business and I was gleaning everything that I could from them. Like, who do I need to contact? Who do I need to call at a school? Like, who's mm-hmm. the decision maker? What's the, what's the right price to charge? And, and so yeah. I'm gathering all this information while I'm there. And then when, when, you know, that moment in June came around where I decided I was just going to take that leap. Um, I kind of had everything already planned out and in place and ready to go. I never expected the phone call that I got um, to lead up to the conversation I had today of an organization saying, we book speakers, we have a a proven system, you are not going to be without bookings, and we're going to take a commission, and everybody's happy. Like, I did not expect that, and God just was like, here you go. You gotta be kidding me, man. That's like a freaking record deal for musicians, I feel like. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 exactly what it felt like. And yeah, um, and so when I got off my phone call today, um after we talked about um pricing and travel and um and how many bookings per I like they're like, How many do you want per year? And I was like, Well, all of them, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but like I got off the phone with them and I called my wife and, and I was like, Hey, um, here's what happened. And I'm going to like, she's my biggest, she's my biggest fan. She's my biggest supporter. She's my biggest encouragement. There's, there's no bigger fan in my life than her. Mm. And she was so, she was so excited. And I said, I go, but I said, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna see what the next 30 days are like because I'm still kind of a little skeptical. And she said, Nathan, what is God gonna have to do to make you believe? Like to wow. just say thank you and yeah. roll with it. Yeah. Because even if even if you only got 10 bookings out of this place, that's 10 more than what you would have had for the year. Yeah. So and I was like, oh yeah, okay, all right. So I'm I'm finally excited about it. I, oh, <laughs> it yeah. took me a minute, yeah. but Hey, I mean, um, if she's right about the other things, she's probably right about this too. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but it's it's unreal. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a dream come true. Uh, because as a kid, I wanted to be a comedian. Mm. Like I I would watch comedy shows and I would study comedians and um and I wanted to write jokes and be funny. And yeah. a lot of my story, there's a lot of comedy in my story mm. so that I can keep things light and keep yeah. things engaging. Um, and, and I just, I'm just so thankful. I'm just so thankful. I just have, you know, people are like, Oh, you're not a pastor anymore. No, I'm not, but I, I, it's just a different pulpit. You know, mm. it's just a different place where I, I get to, to be the light of Christ. And yeah. you would not believe how many kids walk up to me and go, are you a Christian? Do you know oh, Jesus? Like, wow. it's incredible. It's Dude, incredible. That's amazing, man. Dude, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this. This is like, I am so excited for people to hear this, man. This is 
Wow. I, I don't want to like compare this podcast to the other ones that I've done, but dude, no. this one hits hard. Oh. This is so good. That Gosh. makes me so happy. Yeah. Is there is there anything else that you want to share with the world before before we kind of end off here? And I just I want to say too, I I I really appreciate your vulnerability too. You know, because yeah. vulnerability isn't just being honest, it's taking a risk. And for you to get up on here today, taking a risk, say, you know what? I was hurt by the church and it's hurtful what I went through. And I'm gonna be honest. We don't have a church that we're going to right now. That's something that I'm still dealing with. You know, that is amazing. And I love that so much. So I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing the amazing parts of your story and the parts that are still not fully figured out. You know, I think that's a part of a testimony too, to say, hey, God's done so much amazing things. Here I am today, still struggling, still doubting, still wandering, you know? And that's a part of faith, you know, and I, I, I'm excited. You're definitely going to be on here again. So I'm definitely excited to hear what God does in your life after what you shared today with me as well. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for being obedient and doing this podcast. Um, yeah. I, I know that, that it's not easy to, to schedule these things and, and to set up equipment and, <laughs> and to make it all happen. But I also know it's not easy to to do a podcast where we're looking at the church, where we're, mm. you know, we're we're saying, is the church being the church? Mm. What can the church do better? Um mm. it's not easy to do that there because I'm I'm sure there's um, you know, there's pushback and and all of that, but um, but I'm I'm thankful that you're doing this and I'm thankful that, that God crossed our paths. All the way back yeah. in in 2014. Um, if I could, if I could say one last thing um, to people that are listening, it would it would be this: There's going to come a moment in your life where you are alone. You feel abandoned. Mm. You feel like uh, there's no more fight left in you. And I promise you that that feeling is temporary even if it lasts a year even if it lasts two years that is a temporary feeling um what i'm recognizing now when i went through my my alone moment when i went through my abandonment moment what i'm recognizing now is that god was closer Mm. to me than ever wow and in our alone moments he's closer to us than we even could even know Mm. don't give up don't quit don't lay down keep fighting the good fight run your race Mm. god is going to do god is still working these incredible miracles in our lives even the smallest the smallest tiny miracles in our lives god does those things for us um Mm. and so that's yeah if if i could just Give that messages in those moments you feel alone and abandoned. God is closer than you could ever even imagine. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep pushing. Keep going. Um, run your race. Dude, amazing, man. Dude, thank you so much. I know yeah. that Thanks this is going to encourage so many people and be a light to so many others, man. This is, uh, I couldn't have asked for such a better 
awesome dude yeah awesome. thank you so much man <laughs> thank you yeah thank you I don't know about you, but there's something about listening to somebody that is just so humble that inspires me deeply. I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of people that I look up to, and there's something about their spirit that inspires me ever so much, and that's something that I really get out of Nathan. He's somebody that I wish could be in my inner circle so I could just be his best friend because I look at Nathan And he looks so much like Jesus. And I say, you know what? I want to look like Jesus as well. And I believe through Nathan's words, his actions, the way that he holds himself together, he truly embodies the character of Christ. He's such an amazing guy. And I can't tell you how amazing it was getting to have this conversation with him. I truly hope to have it again. And I'm so excited to see what God does in the future. Again, if you guys have any questions, please feel free to leave them for me on our Instagram at The Road to Reconstruction. And I'd like to talk about it on the episode or have a conversation with people offline as well. Again, this is a podcast where I'm doing my best to make a safe space for those who are deconstructing, those who are trying to find a healthier view of God, and honestly, just being there for those who want to learn. Thank you so much again for listening to this episode. This has been The Road to Reconstruction. Thank you again for watching.